Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome into Anime Plus Bonus Cast Edition. My name is Alex Light with Sparky3. Hopefully, you're having an incredible day. Whatever day you're listening or perhaps watching this podcast, reminder, we are in video format over at our YouTube channel, Sparky3. Make sure you go give us a subscribe. We'd appreciate that. Grow the channel. Uh, go hit a like, you know, hit the like button on here or dislike if you don't like it. That's fine, too. Our lives are going to move forward, and so is yours. Uh, joining with me here in studio, I do have my guy, Zach. Zach, how are you doing today? It's going good. Can't complain. You ready to knock out this bonus cast? I mean, we're here. Might as well. Exactly. Well, let's do it. We also have Josh here over the phone. Josh, how are you doing today? Doing good. Was doing great. Mic, was your mic muted for a brief second? Yeah. I thought so. But that's okay because we didn't record. <laughs> uh, so yeah, good day off so far. You having a good time? Yeah. Oh, are yeah. You, are you ready to knock out this bonus cast? Always. Always. That's what I love to hear. That's what I love to hear. Uh, Josh is over the phone because uh, he's going to be coming over this weekend uh, to help me do the Pokemon 25th special for my gaming podcast, Lighthearted. Uh, that's pretty excited. Josh, you pumped up to record that this weekend? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I'm so pumped up for it that I'm super pumped. I don't know where I was going with it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a pretty lack. That, was, that was pretty that was lackluster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah dr- well, I was I was going to link it in somehow because like I was playing Pokemon Go this morning. I completed uh, like one of the events from like last year and I got a shiny Genesex and I was like super pumped about it and I was going to try to link that in there and uh, I, you know uh, it just didn't work out you just dropped the ball I get it I get it hey it's all right man it's okay yeah. uh it's okay. well before I uh break down what we're going to be talking about here today and just uh come a couple friendly reminders you can go follow us on uh Twitter at Animan Podcast we'd greatly appreciate that and then you know if there's anything that you want us to talk about in terms of like bonus cast and stuff uh over at our Patreon you know if you want to go support us there you know help us out a little bit you know you can actually submit topics for us to talk about if that's something that you're interested in hearing our terrible opinions on other things that's fine we're we, you know we'll, we'll talk about it whatever we like talking um all right so for this bonus cast here today uh we're gonna be talking about character backstories um this we have 10 characters picked out uh well 10 different you know ones picked out and uh they're not ranked let me stress this we're not ranking them you know one to ten or anything this is just our personal list of some of our favorites we're gonna each talk about one uh you know the leading up to the very end let me uh get rid of this spam risk phone call here um up to the very end where we'll all talk about it we got some honorable shout outs it's gonna be a good time and i will say when it comes to this list there are some others that we would like to put on here but just due to spoiler reasons because it's you know it's set to be animated or whatever we're not going to it'll just be they'll just be an honorable mention if you know you know all right so let's kick things off at number 10 here this was one of mine uh, I have the Elric brothers from Full Metal Alchemist. Um, the, Full Metal Alchemist is one of my favorite stories of all time. Uh, you know, their 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 character stories is one of my favorites of all time. But in terms of their backstory, I do feel like it is a little bit on uh, the shorter side. You know, there's not enough meat to it compared to maybe some of the others. Uh, but the, what they do have is massive. You know, so when it comes to their backstory, you get to dive into it very early on in the series. You know, for both for both uh, Brotherhood and the original, it's like episode two or three around yeah, there. Real early on. Yeah, it kicks it off pretty early. You know, they don't have their dad. Their dad left them at a very young age. You find out more about that later on. Uh, so it's just them and their mother. Their mother ends up coming down to a sickness and passing away. You know, keep in mind these kids are like what I think they were like maybe eight or nine. I think around there was their that age. Sounds r- about right. They are that they are yeah. around that age range, and they decide. They decide to do, you know, the big taboo. 
when it comes to alchemy and the full alchemist world and that's try to bring someone back to life so they gather up all the materials the base components of a human basically you get to hear that in episode one for both mm-hmm. of them when he's talking to talking to rose he goes through every component for a human being you know and he had just like you can just go buy that off the market you know so they go through they they get everything set up to attempt to bring their mother back they begin the transmutation all shit breaks loose you know, it, you know, you know, equivalent exchange, man. Their their ver their idea of equivalent exchange was a little a drop of their blood, you know, for their entire mother. And mm-hmm. what happens in this uh, process is uh, Al loses his entire body. His entire body gets taken by the other side. You know, the other side of the gate. Ed loses his leg, and then in an act of desperation, he sacrifices his arm to at least attach his brother's soul to a suit of armor. And these are just kids, man. These are these are just kids, and this just absolutely just terrible thing happened to them. Granted, they brought it upon themselves, but then it became like that. While that is pretty much the gist of their backstory, that and that single thing is what set up every single tragic event to follow. And that's why I do feel like it was good to talk about, is because this entire story. It's a tragic story from beginning to end mm-hmm. with things that happen, man, things that, you know, that they encounter. There's a few bright moments here and there, but I mean, throughout this entire story, it is a tragic ride up until they, up until the end where they, you know, they're finally able to have some happiness. Al gets his body back, whatever. But from beginning to end, man, it is a, it is a roller coaster of just, you know, sad emotions that go, that happens to these two of these two uh, kids, you know, with their ultimate goal of trying to just fix their bodies try to fix their mistake you know it it, dude it's tragic you know because in like i said it's just that one single event set us up for such a tragic ride is why i felt like it was a good one to put on here uh next up on the list i'm gonna pass it over to zach zach's got a couple to talk about here what you got going on so the first two i want to talk about is actually a couple uh from the series pecano which i've specifically chose these two because these characters are one of the few that stands out because just a quick synopsis of this is an anime that tells three different stories across 12 episodes. And okay. the same thing about this series is they're all at different points in time. Okay. One is during uh, the fifties. One is during the twenties and the other ones like back in 1800s mm-hmm. because um, yeah, they all just have their all different stories, but they're all connected and it's just a great series where it shows all these Separate stories have some slight connections in a weird way. And the two characters I'd like to point out from it is Isaac and his wife, Miria, who are pretty much gypsies. Okay. The two of them are gypsies. Like, your first interaction with them in the series is they're in some mountain in some way randomly attempting to dig for gold after the gold rush, just a bit after the gold rush has happened. They're in this, it's their quick scheme to get money. <laughs> and I... I I count this as a backstory just because it's because of how the series is. Because the main focus point you get from them is during the 1950s story that happens on a train. But then you also get the earlier uh, story when they're in New York, and they're these two are these two are literally just running around New York, just like living it up, just doing whatever. It's just like, oh, this seems like a good idea. Oh, we could take that. <laughs> And they get involved with a dude who's part of the mob. And pretty much shenanigans happen. Stuff is happening on the train and everything. And these two, these two wonderful people, once the events are happening and everything, uh, 
because they're interacting with a mob. So another mob hit hits said mob and murders everyone in this celebration. And they're coming down on the carriages like they're about to kill some other character. And then everyone just pops back up after they've been riddled with holes. What? Yes. Okay. Because Miria and Isaac, being gypsies, have took something they shouldn't have. Of course. Makes sense. Because it's more or less set in like 20s times, so gangsters and whatnot, so prohibition and things like that. Mm-hmm. They stole bottles of uh, alcohol, never specified what, but these bottles of alcohol was a drink that turned people into immortals. Of course it is, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> so these two, having no idea what this is, they're just at a party celebrating just go, hey, everyone, here's a bunch of booze. <laughs> And hands it off to this entire mob family right. and makes this entire mob family immortal, <laughs> including themselves. That's actually that's actually hilarious. I'm yes. Not, that's actually and this is why I fantastic. love these two characters, because literally they're, they're just running around New York. And then on the train story, they're on this train from digging gold to go visit their friends who they made from that escapade in New York. Mm-hmm. And the entire time, Isaac is dressed up as a cowboy and Mary is just in a nice big red dress and the two of them just spend the entire dancing, making friends, just doing whatever off while this train is being robbed. (laughs) I fucking love these two. (laughs) And I mean, you don't actually get like a real backstory, but just how the series does it because it doesn't tell one story, then go to the next. Mm -hmm. Each episode has bits and pieces from each of the stories. Right. Sort of showing how they connect. So, I mean, you have them during the fifth, but then you have this previous, which just, I sort of feel like is their backstory because this is how they became immortals and sort of why they're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just, I just love those two characters. They're just so easygoing and set the mood of any scene they're part of that just like, uh, sure, why not? It's it's these two. Sure. They just made a ton of people immortal. They're literally just sitting there <laughs> while the train's being robbed, like, pretending like they can't die like they can die <laughs> that's a, I, i'm glad you added that because that's more on the comedic side while everything else we have is just sad <laughs> yeah and I, I love these two because every action they do they're completely serious like they're fully aware they can't die during the entire train thing but uh-huh. they act like they can die at any time and are just like why <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad we got at least one, like, nice one on here. Yeah. Because none of these are good. These are all tragic, (laughs) sad backstories. Which sort of sets the mood of apparently what we consider a good backstory is. It can't be anything or chipper besides mine. And, you know, I did did think about that the other day. I'm just like, damn, this whole list is just really sad. I'm just like, well, I mean, that makes a good backstory, I guess. Uh, So, Josh, let's hand it over to you. What do you got up on your slate first? Uh, I've got Vash the Stampede. Um, and yeah, his is not a happy backstory. It's actually really sad. Because um, in Trigon, throughout the series, it's revealed that Vash is not a human, that he is a intelligent plant, like an independent plant. And these plants were used to power the, the, ship, the seed ships that were transporting all the humans off of Earth to a different planet. And um, so Bash and his brother Knives were found um, and, you know, born from one of these these plants. 
and they were taken care of by Rim, who became their surrogate mother. Um, and they just kind of like hang out on one of these ships where there's very few crew members and everyone else is in like a cryogenic sleep. And um, eventually they discover they weren't the first independent plants to be born, that there was another one named Tesla who uh, had been studied by the crew of the ship that they're on and subjected to continuous scans and vivisections that eventually led their slow and painful death. Um, so Knives basically went to a shock-induced coma and Bash locked himself away saying that he hated humanity and thought that humanity and uh, plants couldn't coexist and tried to kill himself. Um, and that's where Rem intervenes and Bash accidentally hurts her and um, being horrified at what he done saves her life. And that's when she shares her troubled past and convinces him to have faith in the limitless potential of the future and gave him a newfound respect for life. Um, but Knives, on the other hand, still believes that plants and humans can't co can't coexist and plans to crash the fleet of ships into a nearby planet, which is the planet Gunsmoke that the show takes place on. Uh, Knives', Knives intention is to kill every human on board while only saving him, Vash, and the other plants. Um, during the, like, whenever all the stuff's, like, crashing down, uh, Rem puts Vash and Knives into an escape pod um, and stays behind to correct the navigation to save as many people as she can, which is, ends up killing her. So, but, you know, that's kind of the first sad part is that, or the second sad part, really, is that, you know, their surrogate mother ends up dying. Um, that's when Vash or Knives reveals to Vash that it was uh, his that he had done it. He had crashed all the ships to kill everybody. And um, once their pod lands on the planet, uh, Vash, not knowing what to do, just follows Knives around. And I guess to put it in context, too, in the manga, Vash and Knives are 150 years old. So they're pretty much watching all of humanity rebuild from scratch this entire time. Um, and so all this is happening. Eventually they, they separate after Vash is captured in a small town and knives kills all the town people to save Vash, which kind of horrors, horrifies Vash because at this point he has like a love for life and he doesn't want people to die or be hurt and, shoots knives and knives cuts off Bash's arm, which gives him the mechanical arm that we see in the series. Um, and then later on, this is uh, about before the manga starts is a uh, Bash travels to the city of July to find Dr. Conrad, who was one of the people on the seed ship that helped Rim keep knives and bash secret. So they wouldn't get the, you know, experimented on. Um, but once, Bash gets to uh, July. He's confronted by Knives, who's already forced Conrad into his service, and then captures Bash and decides to activate Bash's dormant powers, which we don't see till the end, closer to the end of the series. Um, Bash's true power, but during this experiment, um, the plan backfires, and Bash's like power ends up destroying the city of July and all two hundred thousand people, which you know, gives Vash the name of the humanoid typhoon. And uh, I believe a few months or maybe years after this is when the actual manga starts, um, which 
in my opinion, is a really good backstory, and it's really, but it's really sad. No, yeah, that was, that was actually really solid. As someone that doesn't has not checked out Trigun, really being me, that was a good, that was a good little uh, history lesson there. You know what's really yeah. confusing for people who've never watched Trigun? Hmm. The fact that it's a story about humans versus plants. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right, that was a good one. Let's hop over to the next one, uh, another one of mine. Uh, th- this one was kind of tough, man, just because there was a couple different characters. If we, if, if we were going to pull something from this series, it was kind of tough which one. Uh, but for me, I, with the one we're rolling with here, also because we don't want to spoil stuff for people, I'm going to be completely real with you guys, is uh, Ari yeah. from um, My Hero Academia, the little girl. Uh, you know, who's obviously a primary focus in uh, season four, man, hers is fucked. That's just the bottom line. Hers is fucked. I'll just go ahead and say it. Yeah. Um, so basically when it comes to, to her backstory is the, really the, the starting point is when her quirk awakened mm-hmm. and, uh, it actually accidentally, she accidentally made her father disappear. So her father's done. His father, her father's dead, gone because she accidentally made him disappear with her quirk. Uh, she's the granddaughter of, of a mob boss. Okay, um, and when her quirk awakens, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on how to pronounce his name. Overhaul. We'll we'll just go with Overhaul. I forgot how to pronounce yeah. his actual name. When, once her quirk awakens, Overhaul, one way or another, puts the grandfather into a coma, so he can take Ari and use her for experiments because of her quirk. And then from that point forward, she's just in a constant round of torture every single day, where he basically kills her every single day. You know, just experimenting on her. But just to bring her back over and over again by draining her blood over and over again, turning her into basically nothing thanks to his quirk, just nonstop, just trying to, you know, take her quirk and turn it into a weapon, basically, to help eliminate quirks, as we saw throughout season four. Yep. Season four is still the best work of the, of the anime so far, at least the first half, for sure. And it, it, it's because of the overhaul. It's because of this, the backstory that you get with Aerie, everything about it. And when it comes to Ari, the only downside to her backstory is the payoff, right? You know, we still haven't seen a full payoff yet. I understand that we got to see we got to see her smile finally. You know, at the, at the concert at the end of season four, and that was uh, that was a great moment because of everything else that happened beforehand. Because I mean, with every everything that she had been through, all the torture with overhaul. You know, you know, she's afraid to trust anyone else. We see that at, at a couple of points when she's first introduced. You know, she's sitting there saying to Deku to help, and then when Overhaul basically, you know, it starts to take off his glove, that's when she runs to him because she doesn't want anyone to get hurt. Same thing when they're down in, in, in the base. You know, he starts yelling throughout, Overhaul does, throughout the base, saying, it's like, hey, Ari, if you don't get back here, I'm going to kill this guy. You know, do you want more dead people on your hands because you're not coming back? Which then prompts her to, you know, you know, leave whoever she was with that was trying to help get her out, whatever, to go back to overhaul. You know, it, the, the, just the pure trauma that she has where she can't get away from this. And, you know, even after everything was said and done, you know, like Mirio and, you know, Deku all were just like, you know, she's still under overhaul's clutches, even though he's not here. Yeah, you know, because of just the pure amount of trauma, and and when in terms to like I said, her payoff—that's the only knock to her backstories. That we have, even still at the manga, we haven't got a full payoff yet. We got the the great moment of where she finally smiled, which was also in the anime animated beautifully, of where you see Overhaul's like shadow kind of go away from her as she starts to smile. You know, that's a beautiful little animated moment. I just want to shout out, uh, and then we do get one other bit of payoff that I cannot mention because it is manga only. It's going to be it's like season six of My Hero, and it's a phenomenal moment, mind you. It is. You think that's going to be season six? 
Well, we're in season five now. So, yeah, I mean, that'll, that'll be season six. I imagine that entire arc will be season six. I can't see why it wouldn't be. So, yeah, I, okay, would, maybe. I, I would say season six. Maybe season seven. Maybe we'll. I, I, I my, 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 my money's on six. But, you know, but other than other than those two moments, we haven't got the full payoff yet. Yeah. That, that that's the only knock here to her backstories. We haven't got the full payoff. We haven't got to see her continue to grow and stuff. Granted, the one that I keep referencing is a great growth moment, but there's still more to grow. So that's the only downside to hers. But it's still it's still just extremely tragic in my opinion. Even though it's. You know, even though we don't have that full payoff yet, it, I personally think it's potentially the most tragic of my hero. There's another character that would be in contention, but in my opinion, that's the most tragic because that's just that's just brutal. That's yeah. just a brutal, brutal thing that happened. Um, so let's go over the next one. Uh, passing it off to Zach. Zach, what you got? So my next one is Kuro Sensei from Assassination Classroom, our big octopus destroyer of moons character. So I'm interested to hear this one as someone who has not checked out Assassination Classroom. Yes. Yeah, so if you haven't, once again, mine's a bit spoilery. Pretty much all mine are spoilery, even though this is a bonus cast. So, yeah, <laughs> it's it's old content. It's fine. Yeah. Um. So Kuro Sensei wasn't originally a giant octopus. He was originally a person. Throughout the entire series, you do not actually get to see him as a person. All he is is actually just a pretty much. Just a black silhouette. More or less, he's just a giant burn victim. I don't remember if that was actually his thing, but just it never showed an actual face for him besides the octopus. But pretty much, he was a person, part of a experiment that was happening in the town that the series takes place in. And the person who was assistant, who was supposed to come and check up on him every day, was the actual previous teacher of our class in assassination classroom and more or less she interacts with him every day and everything. And they slowly talk to each other and everything. Um, sort of opening up, he learns about these class F who are mistreated, forced to go on a mountain and whatnot. And, and her whole deal of wanting to pretty much raise their self-esteem, make them feel like they can do stuff and that they're not inferior to the other ones. And all this is happening for like several months, the two interact and everything. And then something Naturally, bad happens. Something goes wrong. Um, the Pretty much there's a explosion during the experiment, which ends up killing her. And Kuro-sensei sees this. And this is a bit after words of her telling him all this about the class and how she wants to help him. And it more or less hints that he sort of fell in love with her, but it never expressively says that. Which, funny enough, she's also the sister of one of the female characters in the class. I forget her name right off the top of my head, but she's a very ordinary-looking character. Until you find out that was her sister. Then she becomes sort of scary. <laughs> but that's a whole other thing. Um so yeah, this failure experiment happens. She unfortunately dies. Kuro Sensei sees this, and he loses his shit. And all we get is a nice shot of the whole entire black face and that, and just a big, white, grim smile. And because pretty much what this experiment was was just making him a superhuman weapon, pretty much. And he finally just goes, screw it. Destroys the lab, kills a couple people, destroys the moon, and more or less goes... 
I'm going to kill you all. And the only thing you can do to try and preserve yourself is I'm going to teach this specific class and they can try and kill me. I'll even give you the weapons to allow them to kill me. But if anyone else does anything, I'm a murderer of this planet. Which thus leads into our main story of this F-class who spends their year attempting to kill their sensei. Hmm. So yeah, that is Koro Sensei's backstory. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, you know, I've never checked out Assassination Classroom. Never even looked into it. I didn't know it used to be a human. I'm going to be completely real. Yep. I apologize. I'm not a real anime fan, <laughs> I guess. I didn't know that. No. <laughs> that is news to me. <laughs> so that is interesting. And I mean, one thing about Assassination Classroom, it is one of the series that it is fully animated, the entire series. Okay. Might have to look into this at some point. Um, let's pass it back off to Josh. Josh, what you got on the slate for us? Yeah, uh, we're going from a fully animated series to one that uh, has we'll been on hiatus for about <laughs> 906 odd days. Um, Hunter Hunter. Uh, so my next one's going to be Killua Zodiac, um, which I guess his backstory is not really it's not really happy, but it's not really sad either because it's just kind of normal because he's from a family of assassins. Um, he's basically the heir of this assassin family and. Uh, since birth, they put him through extensive training to become the uh, perfect killing machine, um, where he undergoes various forms of torture and all that kind of stuff, which, again, he doesn't really have any hard feelings about it through the series. So, I mean, it's not, like, super tragic. It's just part of his job. Um, uh, when we get to the York New City arc, there's... Um, they get to Heaven's Arena and find out that Killua had made it to the 199th floor at nine years old, um, which is very impressive considering at nine years old, he didn't have any use of Nin. And when we meet Zushi, uh, he has a pretty good understanding of Nin and can't get past the first floor. So just to show how much is, you know, assassin training really like put him above other people. Um, because of this, he has like lightning flat, fast reflexes, reflexes and superhuman strength. Um, he can like take someone's heart out before they even notice. Um, he can decapitate someone just by like, you know, kind of flicking his wrist. Um, and when he does start to learn Nin, uh, he can transform his aura into electricity, which according to Tezgera during the Greed Island art is pretty much impossible unless someone has been like exposed to thousands of volts of electricity over the course of years. So that just kind of goes to show like how much he was kind of tortured as a kid. And even during um, like when Gon and Karapika and uh, Lorio go to uh, Killua's like family's mountain and stuff, you just see like Killua getting like tortured and stuff and, nothing to him like it doesn't even phase him um so i mean not one of the better backstories but it's still really cool because he's a you know a really cool character and True. it's one that is cool without being like overly sad and not really happy it's just you know especially when you look at it through his eyes like that's just how life is it is what it is um, yeah my favorite saying in life it is what it is yeah it <laughs> is what it is yeah um Alex, you want to you want to tell us about about your next one? Yeah, and you know, I I, I want to go ahead and say this. Um, for me personally, 
this is probably one of my favorites of all time, if not my favorite. Um, I, it's not higher in this in this video. It's not going to close it off because I don't think it's the overall best. It's just one of my personal favorites. But uh, that's actually Meliodas from Seven Deadly Sins. I feel like everyone can agree it's a good backstory. Uh, I feel like everyone can agree to that. Um, you know, but like I said, I don't think everyone's going to sit here and say it's the best. It's just one of my personal favorites because I remember when I read the chapter uh, that gave his like you know kind of tied the knot in the backstory, tied mm-hmm. the knot on the questions that you would have at the end of season two. Because basically, my history of Seven Deadly Sins is I watched. You know, the first, you know, two seasons plus the season two, air quotes, of the OVA, whatever. I watched all that, and then I started reading the manga. And I remember when I finished reading the chapters that gave his backstory, like, my mouth literally dropped. I covered my mouth, and I just kind of put my phone down. I'm just, like, pondering life. And I remember (laughs) texting Josh this, too, where I was just like, bruh. Bro, yeah. this backstory. So basically, his backstory. Uh, it's already animated. It got animated last year. So for, you know, this is free reign for me to talk about. Is that Meliodas is of the Demon Clan? Uh, he is the Demon King's son, set to become the next Demon King. He's the leader of the Ten Commandments. Incredibly strong. You know, his younger brother Zeldris looks up to him. Whatever. Blah blah. Uh, Meliodas ends up falling in love. Uh, he ends up falling in love with someone of the Goddess Clan. However, which is who the Demon Clan is currently at war with. There's a, a war going on between the goddesses, between the demons between like the giants, the fairies, humans, whatever. Big war going on way back in the past. It's like 3,000 years ago uh, from the start of the series. He falls in love with Elizabeth, and he ends up betraying the demon clan. You know, uh, he tries to get his brother to come with him. Doesn't work. Uh, so Meliodas is the, the sole betrayer. Betrays his father, betrays his, uh, his throne to go be with the woman he loves and fight against the demons in this war. Uh, thanks to Gother and thanks to other things that transpire back in the past, the war ends up coming to a close. Uh, but it doesn't end up coming to a close for Meliodas and Elizabeth. Um, so Meliodas and Elizabeth, uh, they're, they end up having to duke it out with their parents. You know, Elizabeth being the daughter of the, like, I guess the lead deity, goddess, mm-hmm. whatever, and Meliodas being the son of the demon king. Uh, those two, I guess, team up kind of and to, basically try to eliminate Meliodas and Elizabeth. You know, they, they hold their ground pretty decently, but what they end up doing is they put, end up putting a, uh, a curse on them. Um, so this curse is, uh, for Meliodas, he can never die. Every single time he dies, he's just he's going to basically come back. He cannot die. Uh, he does not age either. That's why he's a little kid, you know, at the beginning of the series and kind of confuses people if you're watching it for the first time, you know, especially in season one where it's kind of mentioned a couple times, like, oh, Captain, you look the same as you did X amount of years ago. You know, that's mentioned a couple times. Uh, so he's immortal. He cannot die. And uh, every single time he does die uh, and come back, he loses a little bit of his emotions, just a little bit. Uh, and then on, when it comes to Elizabeth, um, she, every time that she die, every time she like awakens her memories of who she is as Elizabeth of the goddess clan in love with Meliodas, whatever, every single time that happens, she will die in three days. And whenever she c- dies in three days, she will constantly be reincarnated. And as she is reincarnated, she is also forever cursed to one way or another, find Meliodas and fall in love with Meliodas all over again. But it's basically a different Elizabeth every single time until her memories are awakened and she's Elizabeth of the goddess clan. When this first happened and Meliodas first, you know, awoke after he thought he, he died. He thought he was dead. He wakes up. He ends up finding another Elizabeth. That's like, a, I think it's like a, like a cave woman or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, time passes. He realizes it's not the same Elizabeth. He just kind of rolls with it. Uh, she ends up awakening, 
you know, and he's just, and he's happy. And then she's like, no, we're cursed. Like, yo, we're screwed. Uh, you know, and then, you know, she dies in three days and, you know, it's just consistent time and time again. And, uh, you know, Meliodas has, he, he has gotten to witness Mel, uh, Elizabeth die in front of him 107 times. I did look up that number before we started recording 107 times. He has watched the woman he loves die in front of him, you know, just to consistently, continue to, to you know in this cycle of that he's trying to break and you know every single time this happens he falls further and further you know deeper into darkness that mm -hmm. you know obviously he's a demon that's part of his thing but all this is also where the demon king kind of wants to take over his body type of vibe you know him continuously just losing his emotions and you know watching season two primarily is the the bit the best reference to where it really draws some questions because you know in season two when he fights the commandments by himself he dies you know uh esterosa stabs all i think what seven of their hearts i think is what they have you know he kills meliotis and then he comes back a few episodes later and you as the viewer not reading the manga you're just like okay i know this series is kind of all over the place with its powers but how does he come back kind of vibe you, know, you have a nice shot at the end of uh season two where you know meliotis you know is crying to a Elizabeth, where it's like, if I want to save you, you know, I may have to become someone I don't want to become. And at this point, Elizabeth still hasn't awakened her memories. She mm -hmm. doesn't awaken her memories until season three. And that's when she finally awakens her memories and she's unconscious is when Meliodas finally tells all the sins of their, of what, of their backstory. You know, at this point, it's a mystery to everyone. And to tie into just like how much that hit in that episode or chapter is literally right before this happened. Uh, you know, Bond, who's like Meliodas' best friend, made a comment yeah. to Meliodas, uh, where you know he made the comment to Meliodas, where it's like, you know, you you don't know what it feels like to watch the woman you love die twice, and this was right before Meliodas told them all the truth. So even you, as the viewer and the reader, you don't know the truth. Yeah, this was like a chapter before. So then after Meliodas tells the truth, Bond is just like, oh fuck. Bond felt Bond felt obviously horrible. So man, I'm telling you, that is probably my personal favorite, just because like of how just brutally tragic that is. Uh, uh, it's like it's a, it's like a, a, a Romeo and Juliet times ten million yeah. is the way I view it. Like, yeah, it is. Oh man, it is so brutally tragic. I love it. It's probably my favorite personally. All right, so hopping over from there, let's pass it back to Josh. Josh, let's uh, let's talk about a little bit of One Piece. One Piece has a lot of great backstories. Why don't you give a couple shout-outs to some solid backstories in One Piece, and then let's talk in detail about the one we have picked out here. Yeah, um, so couple couple shout-outs. Uh, you know, we'll go uh, Robin. Robin had a good backstory. A good Nami, Sanji, Brooke, uh, Chopper. Um, we'll talk Frankie. about this later. Yeah, Frankie's is pretty good. We'll talk about it later on Anime Plus. But I just finished watching the uh, the latest Odin episode. Odin's backstory is really good. Yeah, it is. One Piece, One Piece, if it does anything right, it gets backstories right. Back backstories of One Piece are really good. Even like uh, Do Flamingo's backstory mm -hmm. is really good. Right. It kind of makes you feel like for this dude who's a fucking monster. My personal um, favorite is probably Nami or Sanji. Just a random little shout out there. Those are probably my personal yeah. favorites. Zach, you got any personal favorites? There's uh, a lot of good from ones. From One Piece? Yeah. Uh, the Whale. Laboon? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I love Laboon. Laboon's backstory and Brooke's backstory are pretty much the same. Yeah, so it's pretty much I the same. It. But yeah. I love that. I love that answer. Well, since we're doing best backstories, my favorite. Is Trafalgar Law, who I like to 
I liked as a character before we got to his backstory, and then we got to his backstory, and I was like, this dude's my favorite character. Um, which basically his backstory is he was born uh, in the North Blue in a place called the White City because it made had like amber lead deposits. Um, and what they didn't know was that amber lead caused lead poisoning. Who, who would have guessed lead caused lead, lead poisoning? Um, and basically the world government and the royal family knew about the sickness before and didn't disclose the information to the public. So everyone, no one knew until people started like becoming noticeably sick. Um, Law's parents were doctors, so they're trying to do everything they can could to help everybody, but they didn't really have the supplies to do anything. And um, his little sister was actually in advanced stages of the disease and was slowly dying. Um, um, so this town was basically in a war with another country, or this country was in a war with another country. Um, so during this whole like epidemic that was going on in this country, they're also being attacked. Um, and a nun was like taking children to like take them from the island to a safer place. And she offered to take long. I was like, no, I'm not leaving my family. Um, and, you know, goes back uh, to his parents and finds out that his, his parents are dead. Um, they were, or goes back to find his parents, and then when he gets there, they they're pretty much killed right in front of him. Um, he go back goes back to find the nun that had taken up the children away to see if he can go with them, and found that the the nun and all the kids had been murdered. And um, then he goes to the hospital to see his sister to find that that hospital had been burned down with his sister inside. So basically, in a matter of hours, he pretty much lost everything um and he was a only able to escape the country by hiding under the the dead bodies they were carrying out um of the country um and eventually makes it to uh makes it in into the um don quixote pirate group which is led by do flamingo um and you know, kind of hangs out with them. Um, and eventually comes to, like, you know, form a closeness with Corazon, which is um, Do, uh, Do Flamingo's younger brother, um, who kind of treated Law like shit at first. And then later on, they got kind of, you know, got, got close. And basically, during that time, um, Corazon and Law pretty much traveled the world trying to find a cure for this amber lead sickness that was going to kill Law. Um, and then um, sorry, I'm spacing out. I'm trying to like remember everything. I love how you um, took so the, notes for the other two, but you didn't take notes for this one. I know. I was like, I could remember this one. I know this one by heart. Um <laughs> Um, but anyway, during this time, uh, Do Flamingo is trying to get his hands on the Op-Op fruit, uh, because the Op-Op fruit has an ability to know their devil fruit has, which is 
in exchange for the user's life, they can make another person pretty much immortal. And that's what Doflamingo wants, because not getting into Doflamingo's backstory, he basically wants to ruin the fucking world because the world ruined his life. Um, and Corazon ends up finding the op-op fruit and feeds it to Law uh, in hopes that he could use that power to maybe heal himself. Um, and unbeknownst to Law this entire time, Corazon's actually a member of the Navy uh, keeping tabs on the Don Quixote pirates. So... Corazon basically puts Law in a soundproof in a, in a crate and Corazon's power is basically to make things silent. Um, so it put, makes it so it's a soundproof barrier and nobody could hear that Law was in there and Corazon creates a diversion so that Law can escape because uh, Don Flamingo is going to use Law to use the op-op fruit to make him immortal and Corazon's like, I'm not letting that shit happen. Um, and then um, yes. uh, put him into the chest and um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so bad at this. I'm not prepared. <laughs> I mean, you're almost there. Uh, you're, you're so close. You're at the end. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, you're the one piece expert of Anime Plus. I know. And I'm trying to remember everything. No, but then uh, after he does that, Corazon uh, reveals to Doflamingo that, um, you know, he was doing it. Um, Doflamingo used Birdcage to prevent him from escaping with the, uh, the op-op fruit, um, unaware that Law had actually eaten it. Um, so Corazon re- realizes that it was pretty much inevitable and resigned himself to saving law and um, he allowed himself to be caught at service of distraction and was killed by Do Flamingo. Um, and so then after that law went on to create the heart pirates and pretty much history. Sorry, law's backstory is like really long. And I had to eventually go to a website to like get all the facts straight because I like started mixing things up because I forgot how long One Piece backstories could actually be, and that's my fault for the not prep. I'm <laughs> I apologize. I was like, I got this. If I got any backstory, it's this one. I'm like, oh shit, I don't got this one. <laughs> that's the important. Of, that's the importance of notes. <laughs> I, I know. I thought I was bad about forgetting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I and mean, I, am, I did. But... For- I did forget I read Naruto, so I, I often forget it. Yeah, no, that's my bad. I was I got overly confident in my ability to remember things <laughs> that I haven't read in more than two years. <laughs> and here I am, let's go over a backstory that's 25 episodes long that I haven't watched in four years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to pass it off to Zach now. And, you know, talking about this backstory, this, I, I, you know, I have not checked out this series, but I do understand from the little bit that I know, you know, the really messed up parts at the beginning, obviously <laughs> the very messed up parts. Uh, this is one, this is one of the most tragic backstories out there. And, and around the time that we're recording this, 
makes it even sadder to talk about because the author just recently passed yes, away. Well, he, he passed away about, uh, about, you know, on the sixth, I think is mm-hmm. what I saw. Um, but we just, the news just broke last night, uh, the 19th of May for us that, uh, the author did pass away. So Zach, why don't we talk about guts from berserk and talk about his backstory? So guts an entire backstory takes an entire anime season because it's just that rough. So to really start out with, if you do not know guts in the original series, not the one that came out in. 2019, the original one that came back out, I think it was like 2003. Um, you get a first episode of this badass swordsman who has a big ass sword and a crossbow arm and kills a demon. And we think, get, oh, this could be a badass action anime. Then suddenly goes back in time and he's just a soldier with both arms. Which leads to guts and a battle meeting a man, man named. Gilfrith, who leads a mercenary group known as Hawks. Pretty much he watches his guts fight and is like, I like that guy. Hey, hey, fight me. If I win, you join my mercenary crew. If you if you win, eh, you can do whatever. Rex guts. <laughs> Just completely trumps guts. And it's like, all right, you're now part of my mercenary crew. So the series then proceeds to follow guts and the Hawks company as... They do different missions. Hawks, or Guts learns from him. He begins to, pretty much, because he was just by himself up to this point. His family was dead. Everything's gone wrong because of the war that's going on. And more or less Guts joins up with these people, becomes stronger, learns from them, learns more about everything. They pretty much become his family, this mercenary group. And Guts um, eventually chooses to, after time has passed and everything, he eventually chooses that for him to continue growing stronger and powerful, he needs to leave the whole bonds of the group and go out on his own and learn more by himself. Well, Gilrith isn't very happy about this, and when this happens, more or less goes Guts, tells Guts, if you want to leave, you have to beat me. So th- they once again duel, which leads to Guts winning this time, beating Gilrith. Hands down, beats Gilrith. Uh, even injures him partially. And Guts thanks everyone and everything and goes off his own. Well, this leads down the dark path to this backstory because this defeat breaks Gilrith and leads to him making some very poor decisions, such as, I'm going to go sleep with the princess of a kingdom as a one-night stand and just thinks he can leave. This leads to him getting captured, the Hawks company more or less finding, hunting Guts down and telling him, hey, we need your help. Gilrith is fucked up. He's captured. We need your help. Well, Guts, of course, this is his family. He goes and helps. They go rescue. um, They bust in this kingdom's prison, pull Gilrith out, bring his ass out. And um, one thing I failed to mention is during this entire series, um, at one time after a mission, they loot this egg, this necklace egg that Gilrith gets, and he wears it throughout the entire series. And the egg is sort of weird because it's an egg, but it has like a weird face on it. And this becomes prominent later after all this happens. They rescue Gilrith, they bring him out, because this egg has, I forget exactly what it is, but it has a tie to the demon world. 
And by, I forget, pretty much he gives his blood to the egg. He makes a deal with a group of demons to become all powerful, pretty much. And pretty much after losing that fight to Guts when Guts leave, Gilrith more or less had the company as he was the strongest. They were all there for him. It was his group and everything. With him losing to Guts, he felt he had become too weak. He couldn't hold it together anymore. And more or less in his desperation makes this deal with these demons. Why this matters for Guts' backstory is because he now sees Guts as his enemy to the point where Gilworth uses these demons to kill the entire Hawks company. Murders everybody who was supposed to be a family. He murders everyone. Let's Guts be aware he's murdered everyone. Sees all their dead bodies and everything. And then one of the people in part of the crew, Casca, who was pretty much a top of the group female, her and Guts had a whole thing the entire time, not towards the end of all this happening. Do they actually get together and everything? So Guts went on mission, comes back, finds bodies of everyone and these weird creatures he has no idea. And Gilworth shows up and just like, I don't remember exactly, but pretty much what goes down is Gilworth has the demons hold Guts down cut off one of his arms, and Gilrith fucks Kasna in front of him while the demons are holding him down and murdering the little bit left of the company. And Guts has to watch that. And if I'm remembering correctly, he does not kill Kasna, but he takes her prisoner as sort of like a trophy at that point in time in the series. And thus we get Guts the Demon Slayer. And he makes it his sole goal to hunt down Gilrith and kill all those demons. Okay, there's also two other things that I read that's kind of like the very, very beginning. And the first is like his birth. His birth is already like immediately like set up for failure. Because like he was, but wasn't he like his, his mother was like basically just immediately dead and Guts is just like a, a baby in a pool of blood when he was found. That sounds right, but again, I haven't watched this series in like four years. Okay, and then the other thing that I came that I read, which again I didn't know this, which is uh, very early on in the series, while he's still a kid, uh, Guts was assaulted by one of the, the members of the group because uh, the leader of the group that you what's his name Gilrith? Yeah, Gilrith. Yeah, he sold Guts off for a night. Yeah, that was that is right. That did yeah, happen. Yeah, Th- those are the those are the two things that I read online. Like, because like everyone's just like, yeah. So he was born basically into a pool of blood and was found by these mercenaries or whatever or whatever it was. And it's just like then it all went downhill there from from there. Yes. And then he was uh, sold off for a night, and he was uh, assaulted as a boy by one of the by one of the members of the the gang that uh, you know later on guts ended up killing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's stuff that I read. I don't know if this is like an alternate series or, of it or like an alt well, or what. There's also quite a possibility because the, I only watched the original series. I didn't watch the new one. Mm-hmm. So there may have been some uh, Full Metal Alchemist stuff type happening. Right. Yeah, so right. I more or less went back off the backstory that I remembered. Either way, they're both tragic. Yeah, no, they're yeah. super tragic. Yeah, yeah. Gut's backstory is uh, very depressing after I, I got a chance to read it. Which now that you say that, that uh, makes a lot more sense because... That I don't really remember that from the original because it was mostly him as an adult. But this newer series, which I'm pretty sure was more close to the manga, was real rapey. Yeah. All right, so before we get over to the last one here for this bonus cast, let's go through some honorable mentions. Uh, so the first one, this is one that I really 
I was very debating putting it on here, but the ser- the anime itself is still ongoing right now and still new. And while what we've seen so far, I feel like was enough to put it on here, I went and read some more about it, and there's still so much more to come that we're going to get to see. And that is uh, Shin Nozen, uh, the leader of the Spearhead Squadron in the new uh, series 86 of this current ongoing spring season. Definitely go check out 86. It's phenomenal. Uh, of course, we got uh, Levy from Attack on Titan, Vegeta. Whoa, 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 whoa. His name's Levi. See, me and Zach were literally just talking about this before we ever started recording. And me and Zach's like, I think it's Levy. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you ask me? I put myself through that. I would have at least known his name. It's Levi. Levi. Well, whatever. Uh, next up, we have uh, Vegeta. Then we have Dingy from Chainsaw Man. Uh, Korapaka from that's Hunter Hunter. Right? <laughs> Kur- Kur- Korapika, yeah. Korapika. Okay. Well, you guys Kurabi- know Korapika from Hunter Hunter. You guys know how bad I am with names. This is nothing new. Uh, of course, <laughs> of course, we have Bond from Seven Deadly Sins. That's a good one. Uh, Urza from Fairy Tales, a good one. Scar from Full Metal Alchemist. Shinra from Fire Force. That's a that's a good one too. Uh, it wouldn't be a bonus cast without me talking about Kaito Hitman Reborn. Uh, so my my little shout out there is Chrome. Uh, and then I also thought of another one from uh, Noblesse. Uh, Rai, Frankenstein, and Muzaka. Uh, all of them good backstories. They all kind of tie together. Yeah, they do. They all kind of tie together, but it's all good. Uh, and that leads us up to uh, our, our last one here, which uh, is coming from Naruto. Uh, Naruto is similar to One Piece, where it has a lot of great backstories, man. You have, obviously, we have the protagonist, Naruto. We have Gara, who his is uh, very similar to Naruto's, but a lot more tragic, for sure. Uh, Kakashi has a lot of sadness to it. Even Obito's is not, not is obviously not a great one. Sasuke is not a great one for various reasons. But uh, the one that is probably the most notable and the best has got to be Itachi. Yeah. It, his has got to be the best. You know, we've talked about Itachi's backstory a little bit in uh, our death bonus cast a while back. And, um, you know, basically throughout this entire series, throughout all of part one of the anime, you know, Itachi is built as this, you know, in, in, incredible antagonist. Okay. That's how he's been built up this entire time. Um, you know, some, you know, literally from like episode two, chapter two, Sasuke is saying there's a man I have to kill yeah. being Itachi. Um, Itachi being the one that basically created Sasuke's tragic backstory. Um, Itachi murdered his entire clan. This was established very early on. Sasuke and Itachi being the only sole uh, Uchiha survivors, or so they thought. And, um, you know, while he's been built up as this incredible antagonist, you know, every appearance, you know, the few that he had, I can only think of like what. Like two off the top of my head were one where he encountered uh, Sasuke mm-hmm. uh, in part one, or encounter- went to go encounter Naruto, and Sasuke was there. And then there was the one where he returned to Leaf and got a little scrap between him and Kakashi. And mm-hmm. um, uh, shout out to Kurana trying to use Genjutsu on Itachi. You know, if you ever feel like a failure, just remember that. Just remember that she tried to use Genjutsu on uh, on Itachi. You know, so he's been built up as this massive villain. And finally, we get to uh, part two of the series where Sasuke and Itachi's throwdown finally happens, and Sasuke ends up coming out on top. By the end of this fight, you know, you're left with questions because, you know, you know, there at the end while Sasuke is out of chakra, you know, up against the wall, Itachi's slowly walking towards him, you know, instead of taking his eye or whatever, like it was kind of set up and teased that he was going to, you know, because, you know, up throughout, you know, beginning of this fight and stuff, Itachi was kind of like a little bit on the crazy side, it almost yeah. seemed like, you know, all all just a big act, man. He just gives Sasuke the little tap on the forehead that he always gave him, and then he just dies. And then you get the full backstory that, you know, Itachi was actually a double agent the entire time for the Hidden Leaf, keeping tabs on the Akatsuki. 
you know, he killed the Uchiha family per order of the third Hokage because the uh, Uchiha family was planning to take over the village. You know, he and he chose his side and he chose his side to stay loyal to the village. And, and when it came to this, you know, there was already people who were fans of Itachi at this point because he was like the, the mysterious, badass older brother. You yeah. know, like you didn't really know much about him other than he was just like a hardcore badass, basically. Uh, but, you know, in the matter, you know, for anyone that did not like Itachi, didn't care for him in the matter of one chapter, that all changed. And everyone became the biggest Itachi fans because of just how much he sacrificed, you know, to you know, get to the point where he was at, you know, how much yeah. he sacrificed, you know, just for the sake of the village. And when it came to this, you know, his one condition was to the third Hokage was to, uh, protect Sasuke. That was his one condition. Um, you know, was, you know, cause he, he didn't, he couldn't bring himself to kill his little brother, mm-hmm. you know, and you get to see more about, you, you get to see more about the night the Uchiha clan was slain from Itachi's point of view. Uh, you get to see whenever he goes to kill his parents and his parents just like, okay, so you've chosen your side, you know, blah, blah, please protect Sasuke. You know, I, th- you know, one, I think the mother said, you know, you truly are a kind child and Itachi's over here crying in front of his blade before he kills him. And then, you know, he, you know, then he obviously completes the kill and then has to like basically com- quickly do a little 180 because that's right when Sasuke happens to walk in where he, he's trying to basically get you know, he doesn't want to drag Sasuke into this entire thing. You know, he wants to, he's a little kid at this point. So he basically then immediately puts on a front that, you know, Oh, he, I was just testing my abilities. You know, I wanted to see how strong I've really become. So I wanted to kill the whole family because of that. It's, it's, it's such a powerful backstory. Um, you know, he man just be because of the amount of sacrifices that he, that he did and just in the end, just for him to actually be a good, a good person. And it's really an interesting story of just a sort of concept of how much, actions change once you have another portion of the story. Because, like, the thing about Itachi being the big antagonist for Sasuke's ire and people hating was just, like, we only had Sasuke's view of these events. True. But once Itachi's came in is when we had that dynamic flip of everyone like, oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Completely different completely different uh, viewpoint on that, man. It's one of the best backstories out there. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. Naruto just has a lot to you know, offer in terms of backstory. Uh, it was, it was, it was very tough to decide which one we wanted to focus on. Yeah. You know, Gara and Naruto, obviously both been, uh, both being, uh, Jinchurikis as, as kids, they were both mutually hated by their villages. You know, Naruto grew up with no parents. Gara grew up with a, with a dickhead of a dad, you know, who even tried to get him assassinated at one point. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, of course, Kakashi, his dad, you know, his backstory really started to go downhill when his dad committed suicide. Um, and then, losing his you know what he thought was losing obito you know in the war and then later he had, he ended up killing ren himself you know his sensei and sacrificed himself when the nine tails attacked you know ever, lots of tragic backstories man throughout naruto neji has a pretty tragic one as well uh with the side of the hugo clan that he's on which yeah. is like the lower side you know not like the royal family side of it air quotes here however, however it was referred to Lots of good stuff to come out of Naruto, and like like we already talked about a lot. Same thing with One Piece. One Piece and Naruto are two series that don't miss on backstories, really. Like they both have such a large cast of characters, where there's so many good backstories across the board for them. Uh, Josh, do you have anything that you want to add with uh, Itachi or Naruto before we kind of just wrap things up here? I mean, I feel like Pain had a really good backstory. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, Pain yeah, did. Yeah, Nagato. Yeah, yeah, he did. That that's a good that's a good shout out. He really did. Yeah, uh, Nagato, Conan, and um, drawing a blank on the the other the other guy's name, the name that Pain took the body for. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Yeah, Nagato and Conan. I don't remember the other one. I'm drawing a blank right now. But yeah, no, yeah, Nagato did, man. That, that's a, that's a good one for sure. 
Um, but uh, I think that's it. I think, I think that's uh, it for this backstory yeah. bonus cast. If there's any th- backstories that you're a huge fan of that we did not include, maybe a big backstory that we're just idiots and we just missed and didn't even shout it out for one reason or another, I feel like we hit a lot of notable hmm. ones. But it's, it's possible we missed something. My, my case, if we managed to butcher a backstory that you like and you want to correct us, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can you where where you can correct us at is at Animan Podcast over at Twitter. You can go yell at us and tell us how we're terrible, or just comment in the comment section below on the on the YouTube version of this. Also, like the video, or di- yeah, you can just dislike it. Yeah, if there's stuff we missed, just dislike the video. It's fine, no big deal. You know, t- tell us you hate us. It's fine. It's, you know, we won't we won't take offense to it. It's cool. <laughs> how often do you click on a YouTube video? And you go. Yeah, just like our video. Fucking do it. Yeah, do it, man. I don't care. I mean, yeah. It is what it is. Life goes on. But if you want to subscribe, you can dislike all of our videos. There you go. It's a perfect win for everyone. <laughs> um, you two have anything you guys want to say before we get ourselves out of here? Um, just if you do like us, please like us. Don't dislike us. Yeah, please. <laughs> like, like, comment, subscribe, rate, anything that your platform allows, whether they're listening to this audio or watching it as a video. Josh, you got anything? Uh, no, just follow us on on Twitter at Animan Podcast. Um, you know, if you if you didn't like this, you know, tell us why. Yeah. Tell us what we messed up. <laughs> like the law backstory. <laughs> yeah, pretty much what I'm alluding to. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're being honest about it. Hey, yeah, A plus for effort, Josh. A plus. I mean, I tried. Yeah, I tried. You, you gave it your best shot. Shout out to that. Well, that's going to do it here, guys. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this bonus cast. We are trying to really make it a priority to do these once a month, rather if it's a bonus cast or a spoiler cast. Uh, so who knows what we'll do for June. Eh, we'll see. I don't know if we'll do a spoiler. I don't know if we'll do a bonus. I don't know. I guess we'll see when we get there. But uh, anyway, until next time, guys, have a good one. Make sure to check out the regular show, all that stuff. Make sure to check out Lighthearted, all that good stuff. Anyway, have a good one, guys. Later. Bye. Later. <laughs> My bad.